Our first lesson is found in Psalm 148. It's a psalm of rejoicing that comes at the very end of this great collection of poems and hymns of the, of, uh, the nation of Israel. And we've seen in the book of Philippians that Paul is rejoicing constantly despite the adversity and circumstances he faces. And I believe it's because Paul's spirituality was shaped by this great idea that the day of salvation had come in Jesus. And we hear of this in Psalm 148. So listen very carefully. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For He commanded and they were created. And He established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling His word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for His people. Praise for all His saints, for the people of Israel who are near to Him. Praise the Lord. And our New Testament lesson is found in the book of Philippians, reading from chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. This is God's Word. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word this morning, we ask that your spirit would illumine our hearts and our minds and give us understanding and that you work out this great salvation in our lives as we learn to follow our Lord Jesus, being servants of his. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. When you arrive in Philippians chapter 2, it's part of the book that many people simply check out of. It's a travel itinerary. Paul is saying, well, he hopes to send Timothy. He hopes to come himself if he is freed. And in the meantime, he's going to send Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was actually from the Philippian congregation. They had been sent by 
the Philippians to Paul to deliver a gift while Paul was in prison. You didn't receive three meals. You had to be cared for by people on the outside. The Philippians, concerned for Paul, had sent Epaphroditus. Evidently, Epaphroditus had gotten very sick. He could have been attacked in his travels. We don't quite know what happened, but he had risked his life for the sake of the gospel. And so Paul is simply discussing his travel plans and his hopes. At least that's what it looks like. But actually, there's far more going on here. That Paul is here presenting models of faithfulness for the church and commends them to the church to emulate such men. Look what he says in verse 30, or excuse me, in verse 29. So receive him in the Lord, speaking of Epaphroditus. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. And this is the point of the passage, that Paul isn't just sharing a travel itinerary. He's actually telling us what is important. And he communicates it in two examples, one man named Epaphroditus and one man named Timothy. And he's showing us the type of people we should honor and the type of people we should esteem to be. What does greatness look like in the church of God? Now, the topic of greatness was an important one in the Roman Empire. You remember that Roman citizenship was prized, and Roman citizenship was a thing that was celebrated in this world. To be a Roman citizen was to live inside of a certain story. And if you grew up as a Roman citizen, you would have grown up with stories about men like Marcus Cato and Gaius Caesar. They were the heroes of Rome. Now, Augustine, when he wrote The City of God, picked up on this. And he understood that these stories were told to young children in order to shape them and form them. They were told to adults in order to form them about how to live. That they were to be people of virtue who prized Rome. Listen carefully to what Augustine says, though. He says, now, according to the witness of the historians, the ancient Romans were passionately devoted to glory. It was for this that they desired to live. For this they did not hesitate to die. This unbounded passion for glory, above all else, checked their other appetites. Augustine was saying, look, these people made extraordinary sacrifices. These are the heroes of Roman society, those who've laid down their lives for Rome. But did you catch why they had laid down their lives for Rome? He said it was an unchecked passion for glory. It was a seeking after honor, for fame, immortality. And so men like Marcus Cato and Gaius Caesar, they, Gaius, Gaius Caesar, they received an inordinate fame for all that they did for the Republic, what they did for Rome. And what Paul does is he lays out different heroes for the church. And what he lays out is not men of unbounded passion for personal glory and honor. He does tell us to honor these men. But what we find here is something very different. And so what does it look like? What are the types of behaviors? What are the virtues that we honor in the church? It's fairly simple in these two examples. But we honor those who have an unbounded passion to live for Christ who sacrificially serve others. 
Paul says this is what greatness is, not in the city of man, it will be laughed at, but greatness in the city of God is to have an unbounded passion for serving Christ and sacrificially serving others. He gives us the two examples. Follow with me in verse 20. Paul says, For I have no one like him, speaking of Timothy, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. They all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. Several things going on here where Paul echoes language that he's used earlier in the letter. Look again where he says, they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. Do you remember in, in chapter 2 where Paul says that we are to do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility to count others more significant than yourselves? Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And so Paul is saying that Timothy is such a man. He doesn't seek his own interest. He seeks the interest of others. And then once again, he says, how as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. Now the verb here behind served is also, could also be appropriately translated slaved. It's the same word that we found describing Jesus. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant or a slave. And so Timothy is presented to us not as a redeemer, but he's presented to us as one who is sharing in the mind of Christ, who is living a sacrificial life for the sake of others. He's certainly not perfect, but he does lay down his life. He is a slave of Christ. He gives himself for the interest of others. We find this again with Epaphroditus. In verse 30, we learn that he nearly died for the work of Christ. He was serving Paul on behalf of the Philippians, delivering a gift to Paul in his great need. It was the Philippians' expression of love. And Epaphroditus nearly lost his life to do it. He too was a sacrificial servant. That these two heroes... They did rather ordinary and mundane things. But these were the things that Paul pointed out, and he says, honor men like this. Greco-Roman society had its virtues that it extolled and honored. American culture has its virtues that it extols and honors. And in the church, we have to be very self-conscious not to confuse those two things. That we must be very conscious that what we honor, that what we uphold, is not the values of the culture around us. The honor that the culture would give, the city of man. But we want to uphold the values that the city of God celebrates. And this is what it is. Ordinary, faithful men serving the gospel, living for the sake of others. And Paul is saying that this is what it is to have the mind of Christ. Remember what he says in chapter 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have this sacrificial mindset among you. It's yours in Christ. Put it on. And the great beauty is, he now says, there are two tangible examples that you know and who will come and see you very soon. So this is what 
greatness looks like in the kingdom of God. Augustine, in his discussion of this, back in the city of God, says this. He says, if we do not display in the service of the most glorious city of God, the qualities of which the Romans, after their fashion, gave us something of a model in their pursuit of the glory of their earthly city, then we ought to feel the prick of shame. He said, look, in the pursuit of, a, of an earthly city, they gave their lives. They sacrificed themselves. How much more should the Christian, in the name of the heavenly city, be willing to give themselves sacrificially? And the trick is, is that we can't be driven by glory, personal glory. We have to deeply believe. We have to get our minds around that sacrificial service is the real path to greatness. And that path to greatness is found in the example of Jesus, who did not account his equality with God as something to be grasped and held on to. And that his sovereignty and his rule and his greatness is found in his service of others. And so Paul is calling us into this way of life. These are the people to emulate. This is the way to go. Live this way. And so the massive question is, how do we get it? How do we become like that? We feel the resistance in our hearts to be a servant, to be someone who thinks of the interest of others ahead of their own. How do we become like that? Three things for us to look at. If we were to live this first, if we were to live this way, it begins in our experience of being served by Christ. Several years ago, I was serving on a team planting uh, churches in Washington, D.C., and we had a close-knit team, but we had reached a relational impasse. And that impasse lasted longer than any of us were proud of. We simply couldn't work out our conflicts. And in the midst of that conflict, we had all sinned and failed and done things that we were not proud of to one another. And so we called in an older mentor, someone we all agreed was godly who could mediate our conflict. His name was Steve. And so Steve came into town, he listened to all of us, and he sat down with us one morning to talk through what was happening. And he told a story. He said, guys, I'm going to tell you a story that I think addresses one of the first problems that's going on here. You all are carrying around a sense of failure, and that sense of failure is holding you back. And so he had been to India several years before. And while he was in India, he saw a picture that was absolutely uh, repulsive. He didn't quite understand it when he first saw it. But it was the picture of a Dalit, and a Dalit is the lowest social ca caste in India. And so as the bottom of the rung, they oftentimes received the worst jobs and employment. And this Dalit worked in the sewage system. And the sewage system in India and in this part of the country was not as advanced as parts of the sewer system you're familiar with. And the Dalit was sent down without proper gear and clothing to unclog the sewage system. And the picture is of a man rising from sewage, breaking forth from, um, from the mire that he was in, covered in human refuse, coming to the surface. It's a repulsive picture. It's hard to stomach to think that a human being would have to do that. Steve tells us the story, then he looks at us, and he says, guys, you have to allow Jesus to be your Dalit. 
that he has to carry your shame, your filth, all the things that you've done of that you're not that you've done that you're not proud of. And right now there's some resistance that you guys don't want to confess it. You don't want to put words to what you've done wrong. And friends, this is the first step to becoming a servant is you have to know what it is to be served by God. You have to know what it is to be broken and sinful and what it means to have failed and messed up and what it means for Jesus to be a slave on your behalf that he carries your shame that he carries your refuse and you have to be willing to give it to him, allowing him to do so. The son became a slave that slaves might once again become sons. To become a sacrificial person, we have to receive that sacrifice, own it, enjoy it, constantly experience, be overwhelmed by it, never lose our sense of wonder with it. It's the first thing that has to happen to us. But second, if we are to live this way, this sacrificial way of life also needs to be modeled before us. We have the great model of Jesus, who as God did not grasp onto that, but became a servant, gave of his life. We have this great model in front of us. But then Paul is clearly saying that in the community of the church, Right here in an ordinary place like Christ's church, there need to be models of this. We don't need models at a great distance at a, far, at a church in Los Angeles or in New York. He's not looking for superstars. He's looking for common, ordinary faithfulness. Epaphroditus was just a member of the congregation. And he went and served the gospel. He says that we are to honor such men. Because we experience the love of God in Christ. And then when we see it modeled in front of us, something begins to happen. The vertical and the horizontal are no longer separated. Several years ago when I was a minister in Tennessee serving at a large church, I found myself in one of those places where I was in real need. I was confused. I had had a boss who had a drug addiction, and I didn't quite know what to do. And in attempting to address it, I found myself on the outs with certain parts of the leadership. I was deeply confused. I was a young man, 28 years old, and I, was, um, I had many ideals about the church, and I was watching them get crushed as I stepped into the underbelly of it. I needed advice. There was one minister who I had talked to for five minutes in my life at that point. And at the end of that five minutes, he said, Chuck, if you ever need anything, give me a call. Now, I've had lots of those conversations that I've probably forgotten, okay? But as I was sitting there in my moment of absolute desperation, I remembered his comment to me. He lived a great distance away. But I called him, left a message. He's a busy guy. Less than five minutes later, I received a phone call back. And he said, he said, Chuck, um, what I'm going to do is next Tuesday, I'm going to fly to, to Memphis. I'm going to meet you in the airport for lunch. We're going to pray, and then I'm going to get back on the plane and fly home. It was very direct, very laid out, and I couldn't quite believe it. What interest does this guy have in me? We've talked for five minutes before. I knew he was one person who understood my circumstances, my situation, that he'd be able to speak into it. And he said, yep, I'm, I am, would be happy to give you a day of my time to help you. 
And so on that next Tuesday, I went to the airport. Um, we sat and had lunch and prayed, just like he said we would. He gave me some wonderful advice. He helped me through a tremendously difficult circumstance. He got back on the plane, and, uh, and I haven't seen him since. And I remember sitting there going, that's the kind of person I aspire to be. Now, certainly I had learned that from Jesus. You see it written in the text, and we know that Jesus serves us this way, but there's something else that happens when a human being also brings it into your life and embodies it, that we all need this. We need this from parents. We need this from older mentors. We need it from younger people. We need it from in every single direction, reinforcing the message of the gospel, that it's not about us. It's not about our lives. It's about sacrificially serving others. Friends, we need that ordinary kind of faithfulness taking place all around us. It encourages us. It uplifts us. It gives us patterns. Because you see, it's not that we're just supposed to do exactly what Epaphroditus did or exactly what Timothy did or exactly what my friend did. But what each of those men are is they are examples of having the mind of Christ, of laying down your life for another person, and that can take on so many different ways. I'm not a musician, but what I understand about jazz music is that there are some rules. There are chords and progressions, and there's rules for how it works. But then there's a great deal of freedom inside of those rules. It's improv. It's working it out. And friends, that's what God invites you into as well. He lays out the boundaries and tells you to have a non-self-interested life, to be sacrificial, to live for the sake of others, to have the mind of Christ in yourself. And then he leaves you to improvise. For Epaphroditus, it meant returning to Philippi. It meant going to Paul. For Timothy, it meant a return to Philippi. It can mean any number of things. It may mean the AV booth for you. It can mean any number of things. The question for us is, are we striving after that? Or do we simply allow church to be something that we do on the side of our lives and then we get along with the rest of our business? Or are we striving into the mind of Christ to be people who lay down their lives in service of one another and service of the broader world? That's what God is inviting us into. And we need models of it. Ordinary models of faithfulness. They're normally the last people to admit they are. And so finally, what do we need in order for this to happen? The sacrificial way of life, what we need is the grace of Christ. We've said that we need to experience what it is to be served by God. We need models in front of us. And then we need the ongoing grace of Christ poured into us. Remember what Paul said in verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. As I read this, I confess that I feel the weight of my own self-interested soul. We all do. We know that our hearts are bent in upon ourselves, that this doesn't come naturally to us. This is the state of fallen humanity. But Paul says, have this mind because this mind, this mindset of selflessness is already yours in Christ. 
In other words, when Jesus died and when he rose again and when he sits in heaven through the Spirit, he gives you this mind. It is now yours to apply it, to work it out, to bring it into existence, to embody it in life. The other year, I received a tax refund from the IRS, and then a couple of months later, I realized that I hadn't cashed in that check. And I'm looking at that check thinking, why haven't I cashed this in? Just sitting here. And so I did a bit of research to make sure my check was still good, and I discovered that this happens every year. Millions of dollars go unclaimed by American citizens who are entitled to a tax refund. So check it out. Roughly about 100,000 citizens do this per year. They move or something else happens, but the check is never cashed. And so the government gives you to a certain date, and then they just take it to the bank, okay? That's how it works. The money is yours. You just don't avail yourself of it. And we face the same crisis in the Christian life. The mind of Christ is ours. It's given to us. God's not held anything back. It's do we avail ourselves of it? Do we ask Him to continue to give us grace to walk in this sacrificial way where we lay down our lives for other people? Where we work against our sinfully inclined selfish nature and we seek to live in this way, putting the interest of others ahead of our own. God gives us everything that we need to do so. Not to be perfect, but to be faithful examples models of the gospel, encouragers of the gospel with one another. And so let's draw down deep on this grace of the gospel. Know what it is to be sacrificially served by Jesus. Experience that. Never let it become dull or old. Know what it is to have models. Find people in front of you who can point you to the grace of the gospel and the way that they embody it and become one of those models, not in a self-conscious way where you advertise it. That would undo it, okay? Um, <laughs> but become that kind of person. That someone in their experience of you would say, you know what, I'd like to be like that. That's a good way to live, to serve other people. And finally, draw down on the grace that is yours. The check is written. He's given you his mind. Put it into practice. Ask him to give you further grace and help and strength to overcome that sinful orientation so that you can live in the interest of others. That's what it means to be great in the city of God. That's the kind of person we honor. And so let's uphold and esteem that. Let's pray. Father, we recognize that this is hard for us. It's extremely challenging because we honor all kinds of things, but we don't tend to honor sacrificial service and those who are lowly and give themselves for others. It's not something that we typically esteem. And so help us to change those values, to invert them. And would you be at work in us that we become people like this, that we can be models of grace to the world around us, that we can live non-self-interested lives, that we can lay down our lives for others. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.